How are you all doing this morning? Good, that's it, you're up. I was going to do my little clap. I like to do this. I like to test the rhythm in the room. If you can hear my voice, clap once. All right, it was a little popcorn, so some of you guys, we got to be working on it. I'm going to try it again. If you can hear my voice, clap once. If you can hear my voice, clap two times. If you can hear my voice, clap three times. My name is Oye Waddell, and like Caleb said, I do live in this city, this great city, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm uh, proud to be a Phoenician officially, right? I've been here, I, I moved here from LA, Los Angeles, and so I've been here officially 11 years, so I guess I can call myself a Phoenician now, no? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I have a wife and four kids. Uh, uh, my wife's name is Chris, and my beautiful children, Chariot, Clover, Crescent. These are all three girls, and then we call them, my last is a son. His name is O2. O2 for oxygen, because we needed oxygen. Me and my wife are working hard with those three girls. <laughs> and so, and, but man, it, it was, it's a blessing uh, to have my family, but also I, I get an opportunity, and I say it really uh, sincerely, I get an opportunity to lead an organization called Hustle Phoenix. And essentially, again, like Caleb eloquently said, we help support men and women in urban inner city communities with the intellectual, social, and financial capital to start businesses that glorify God and serve their neighbor. And so it's a ministry, uh, I call it a labor of love. We walk with people to help them be more of who God called them to be. And so I'm really privileged and honored to be able to continue to lead that. And also, I'm in the process of planting a church uh, in South Phoenix called Sojourn Village. And so uh, myself and a group of other leaders have been meeting on a regular basis, and we're looking uh, to plant or start a new uh, work in the community of South Phoenix. So that's something you guys could be praying for in your quiet time. So before we get started, I want to pray, and then we're going to dive into scriptures, okay? Uh, let me, let's, uh, let's first read Luke uh, 14, 1 through 11. And so you, you all have like some booklets, and uh, as I saw Caleb brought it to me, and uh, you can read the scripture, you can follow it there. You also could follow it in your Bible, right? That, that Bible, that thing that we have sometimes that we should be reading, that we read all the time. I know we do. Uh, but we can also follow along in your Bible, your phones, whatever you have. But I'm going to start off by reading the scripture, uh, Luke uh, chapter 14, verse 1 through 11. And the scripture reads, uh, hold on, let me, before I start, if you have the, your Bible, say amen, or the, if you see you have it in your, pay, your hand, just say amen so I can know that you got it. Amen. amen. Okay, got it. Awesome. All right. So it says, on one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Just then in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy, and Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. And so Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said to them, if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, would you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. And the same scene in uh, Jesus's, uh, in the Pharisee's house, we see in verse 7 when he said, when, when Jesus knows, when he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you, are invited, go, when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so when the, that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. 
For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. Everybody say repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you'll be blessed. Everybody say blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection, resurrection of the righteous. God in heaven, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for DSBC, God, and how you are continuously preparing them and sending them on mission. God, I pray that uh, you may increase and I may decrease. I pray that your word will go forth, and I pray that your word will uh, shoot to our hearts, God, as we listen. God, speak through me as I present your word today, God. And I pray for anyone in here that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray you warm their hearts and call them to yourself. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So when we, uh, as we talk about and we think about walking wise and economic wisdom, Pastor Caleb asked me to speak on it. And I, I said, gladly, I love talking about economic justice, economic wisdom, and everything related to economics as it relates to our world. Uh, I mean, economics is everywhere. When we think about the definition of economic wisdom, it's applying biblical principles to to the modern economy. And so we have to continuously apply these principles that we understand in the Bible, in the Word, and say, what does that look like for me here and now? Our culture is urgently concerned about jobs and economic growth. I was just watching the news the other day, and they said, we have the, uh, I think, lowest unemployment since 1969, which is great. But, right, like, you go to the store, bread is expensive, eggs are through the roof, housing is expensive, and we were bombarded with thinking about money. In fact, when I was, as I was writing this sermon, I had this song in my head, money, 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 money. Y'all remember that song? I can't sing, so. <laughs> but I mean, with money and economy is always bombarding us. It's in front of us. It's something that we deal with all the time, right? And so as a believer, how should we think about the economy? How should we engage with the economy? And so as we define economy, economy is a, sixth, a system of exchange for goods and services, That's what the economy is. And so from Genesis to Revelation, we see God is concerned about money and economy. When we think about Genesis, the creation story, God created the economy. But even in the fall, right, because of sin, we we have this distrust with one another. And we have this this need to want to gain more, always this greed, this insatiable desire to get more and more. But from Israel, right? Israel, when God uh, called Israel, he said, you are a blessing to the nations. We see God also gave him a call. Take care of the poor, widow, and the orphan, especially as it relates to economy. And so we still see the same call now as the church. A central theme in the Bible is how are we taking care of the poor, widow, and orphan, especially as it relates to the economy. Amen? Amen. Okay, now here we go. I'm going to stop right here. <laughs> I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause. So I, I grew up in an African-American church, and it was call and response, right? Like when you preach, it's a dance, right? right? And so when I say amen, 
if you agree, now if you don't agree, it's okay. Don't say anything. <laughs> but if you agree, you say amen. amen. All right. So it's call and response. So again, I said, uh, when we think about, again, the central theme throughout the Bible, it's like how God is saying, how are you taking care of the poor widow orphan? How are you making room for the marginalized as it relates to the economy? Amen. Amen. In our Western thought and culture, that is countercultural. When we think about our Western thought and how we move in the world, it's the exact opposite. Everything is about self. Everything is about how do we take care of ourselves and uplift ourselves with no value on people that are marginalized. As Americans, we value wealth and influence over the marginalized. And Jesus calls us to something different. He calls us to not only um, engage in an economy, but also thinking about the marginalized. And that's countercultural. Everybody said countercultural. Countercultural economy is a productive economy that lifts people out of poverty and helps people flourish. I'll say it again. A countercultural economy is a productive economy that lifts people out of poverty and helps people flourish. That is not how our world works. But as believers, God has called us to live differently. He called us to be a, a light in, in a dark place. And when we do that, when we are constantly engaging in that, people see that and want to follow. Amen? Amen. So I, I, I say this countercultural accountability. How do we do it? How do we lift people out of poverty? And I would say this, and I'll submit this to you today, that the only way we lift people out of poverty and help them flourish is to challenge the systems and structures that impact the poor. I'll say it again. The only way to lift people out of poverty and help them flourish is to challenge, everybody say challenge, challenge. the systems and structures that impact the poor. See, challenging systems and structures is one of the many reasons the religious elite killed Jesus. He was constantly pressing up against the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite, pressing up against all the rules and laws that they put in place to keep themselves on top. But when we think about economic wisdom, economic wisdom is about challenging the systems that deny physical, social, and economic wholeness to the marginalized. And that's what Luke 14, 1 through 11 is talking about. He's, Jesus is challenging the Roman Empire in their thoughts and their practice as it relates to the marginalized. And this leads me to my first point. Economic wisdom is about challenging the systems that deny physical wholeness to the marginalized. When Jesus uh, healed people uh, that had a physical disease, that brought him in conflict with the religious folks. The Pharisees hated it, and we're going to see this in a minute. Because he was challenging the social order, the system. And so, and so when we see the Pharisees wanted control over the system, they wanted to maintain the status quo. Does that sound familiar to anybody right now? But Jesus always pressed up against it. See, uh, I talked about Hustle Phoenix. When I started Hustle Phoenix, I remember, uh, I, again, I'm from L.A., and I started Hustle Phoenix because... I grew up in inner city LA and I saw a lot growing up as a teenager. I grew up in the 80s and 90s and there was a lot of gang violence and drugs and all these things and a lot of my friends were involved in it. 
And one of the things that we seen, I saw happening to my community in inner city Los Angeles is that a lot of my friends were going to jail. And, I knew, and I, as I went to college and, and, and started to understand more of what's going on with our society and our system, I was like, man, this is a national problem. In fact, if you think about it, if you do the research, our prison population has grown over 500% in the last 40 to 50 years. 80% of the crimes being economic, 60% of the increase being primarily African-American and Latino men. That means we don't have leaders in homes because they're behind bars for economic crimes. And so I, so I started Hustle Phoenix because I said, man, what does the church have to say about this? We can't just let, continue to let men and women be locked up behind bars by not providing opportunity. And so, and so I started Hustle Phoenix with that in mind and saying, listen, how do we support urban inner city communities? Not with relief, right? Not with giving away things. We're easy. Like as Christians, we do that extremely well, right? We know how to give away food, backpacks, and that's great. We, continue, we should continue to do that. But rarely do we uh, participate in development, developing people to be more of who God called them to be. That takes time. That takes energy. Amen. And so when I started Hustle Phoenix, I, I, I was really excited, really gung-ho, and we started to serve the community. And it's interesting what happens, right, when we talk about physical wholeness. We, we went in beginning to start, help people start businesses because we thought, man, this is a part of the issue of economics and helping people be able to provide for themselves, their family, the broader community by providing jobs. We thought this was great work. But immediately as we continued to do the work, we seen this physical wholeness happen. When people were starting our program, right, you would see them, and not to say that they were looking drab or, or because I, I don't like to, to over, you know, I think sometimes we can overdo it in urban ministry. Well, oh, look at these people, these poor, lowly people. No, it wasn't that, right? These people were, or had dignity. They have dignity. But, but one of the things you can see is you can see this physical change as they go through our program and they're discipled and they're walking through all of the things that we do and walking alongside them, alongside them to serve them. You see a physical change in the people as they continue to grow their business, start their business, start hiring people, families change. I mean, you, you think about this, this, uh, this, this legacy that they're building because now their kids are watching them start businesses and they have this different, they walk differently, they talk differently, right? They put their shoulders back. This physical wholeness happens because God allowed us to serve people in this way. And, and, and so we see, again, Jesus. We see Jesus doing this in Luke, 1 through, Luke 14, 1 through 5, where Jesus brought physical transformation and wholeness to the communities through relationship. And I'll read it again just to, to, to get us back on track again. It says, on one occasion, on verse 1 through 5, if you're following in your Bibles, on one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of the leader of the Pharisees to eat, a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. And so again, these priests, right, these priests were always challenging Jesus, these Pharisees, and they were watching him closely. That's what the scripture says. Again, and then verse 2, it says, just then in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy. And Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath? And so when we think about this disease, this disease was that this man was swollen. He had liquids in his body, right? And, and Jesus went ahead and said, he asked the, 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 the religious, elite, religious elite a question. And obviously he knew the answer, but Jesus healed him anyway, amen? 
And so when Jesus was challenging them in verse 4, he says, like, hey, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath? And they got silent. Jesus took them and healed them and sent them away. And what Jesus was saying is, like, listen, those are your laws. Those are the Pharisees' laws. They were not God's law. He was not violating God's law when he healed this man on the Sabbath. But again, then he goes to ask him. He says, then he said to them, if one of you has a child or, has an, or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath day? And they didn't reply. But again, again, Jesus physically healed this man. The Pharisees were struggling with it. Right? Why, are we doing, why would you do that on the Sabbath day? And again, and again, Jesus responded and saying, like, listen, this is not God's law. This is your laws. And you're a hypocrite because you don't heal an animal on the Sabbath, but we can't heal people. And I have a question to you for you all as we think about uh, this verse. Ultimately, Jesus is challenging, again, the structures and systems of the religious elite. They didn't want him to heal on the Sabbath. That was their rules. That was their structure. That was their system. It wasn't God's rules or structures or system. Okay, it was this, and so I have an actual question. By Jesus providing physical wholeness to the man with dropsy, Jesus challenged the social power of the religious elite. Where do you see people struggling? Where do you see people ailing? And how are the systems and structures contributing to that? We all see it, right? Like you drive 20 minutes down the road, we have food deserts. You drive another 10 minutes down the road, we don't have great produce in grocery stores. I remember my wife used to tell me, and I didn't really realize this, she was like, you can tell the community that you're in by looking at the produce and the wine selection. <laughs> right? I think about liquor stores. When I grew up in LA, I think about liquor stores being on every corner. This is, these are systems and structures. These are things that are allowed to happen to communities that are marginalized, but we know about it, but we do nothing. I think about, I think about uh, schools, right? I think it's about schools in, the, in the urban communities failing our kids. There are systems and structures everywhere that are impacting people's physical condition. And I always like to ask us as the church, what are we going to do? How are we going to model Jesus and begin bringing physical wholeness to our communities? Amen? Amen. Not only did Jesus bring physical wholeness to the martyrs' lives, but he also brought social wholeness. Everybody say social wholeness. Economic wisdom is about challenging the systems that deny social wholeness to the marginalized. Jesus is creating a new social order where the power and a powerful and elite humble themselves. Social wholeness is about knowing who we are in Christ and emptying ourselves out for the other. I talked about Hustle Phoenix, right? I talked about how we started. And when we started, again, we talk about the intellectual, social, and financial capital. Intellectual capital is training and development. So we do a lot of training, development to really help people understand how to run a business from accounting to marketing to understanding your numbers to uh, understanding legal aspects of your business. And so one of the things that we say is that the difference between wealth and poverty is relationships. 
I'll say it again. The difference between wealth and poverty is relationships. That's social wholeness. When I think about it, one of the things we say is that, listen, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. One of the things we do at Hustle Phoenix is, uh, Caleb said it, we recruit people in sales, people in marketing, people that understand legal, so lawyers, people that understand banking, uh, uh, people that understand uh, risk management. We recruit, we partner with local churches and we recruit these individuals to serve in their highest and best use. And I say that to say, listen, one of the things, our key verses is Genesis 12, one through three, where God blesses Abraham and he said, you're blessed to be a blessing. God has blessed you with giftings and skills and things that, that you went to school for or you've learned through business. And he's saying, listen, most of the time in urban ministry, we're asking people to give things away. We're not, we're just not saying that. We said, we, wanna, we want you to give what God has given you. That gifting and skill and ability to provide social wholeness to people. And so I have a call. We need, always need people to volunteer. We always need business professionals. So if you think that is you, I'd love to speak with you. Or you can visit our website, hustlephx.com. Just a shameless plug, so. <laughs> but again, but, but Jesus, we see Jesus doing this thing. And this, we see Jesus doing the same thing, providing social wholeness to people. And we see this again in verse 7, and I'll read it. He said, when he, when he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then as a disgrace, you will start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so in these particular verses, we see that Jesus is speaking to the people invited to the Pharisee's house. And when you think about this dinner that they were having at the Pharisee's house, the, the, usually the tables were shaped like a U, if you think about it. I know you guys are going to have this dinner in, in two weeks, I think Caleb said. And so I want to see this U-shaped table if I come out here to, in two weeks. <laughs> And so, and so, this, so the Pharisees, they would have this U-shaped table, right, if you think about a U, and the, the person at the top of the table or the top of the U would be the most distinguished. That's the person that's probably leading the party or leading the banquet. And then everybody on the sides that are closest to that person, right, are the most distinguished, all the way out to the outers, and the, the outer ends of the U are probably the people that are not as distinguished. That was a joke, but don't worry about it. Anyway, <laughs> but, but in verse 7 and 8, we see people, right? We see people coming to this dinner, and they're jockeying for a position, right? I, don't know, I, know if you, I know back in the day when you guys used to party, right? I know none of you all party right now, right? Anyway, <laughs> and, and, and you're in the line to go into the party, right? And sometimes you'll see the, the guy that kind of goes up to the front of the line like, yeah, I want to give you a couple hundred dollars. I want to get in first. They're like, no, take yourself out to the back of the line. <laughs> right? They, Jesus is saying, like, this is what's happening. People are they're trying to jockey for a position. They want to sit next to the, the person that has the, the most influence or the most power. We find ourselves doing that all the time. 
We invite people to our table. We invite people to our home. We go to people's parties knowing we don't really want to be there because we want to be close to the person with influence, to the person with power, so we can uplift ourselves. Amen? You don't have to say amen to that. I already know. <laughs> but, but Jesus is saying in verse 9, he said, listen, don't try to put yourself in position because you could be shamed. Instead, take a posture of humility. Don't exalt yourself. Don't put yourself up on this higher pedestal. Because what happens is you start thinking about self too much, and there's people that are around you that love you. Maybe that, those people love you. But there's people that are around you that you could be excluding by always thinking about yourself. Amen? I got two amens on that. It's all good. But again, we think about this. When we think about... <clears throat> This, 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 this process, think about what happens now, right? Think about our current world with social media. Everything about social media is about uplifting self, thinking about self. Look at me. Look how great I am. Look how beautiful my family is. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And all the, after all that looking at me, we start denying opportunities to the marginalized because we can't even see them So because we are so much, we're so, we are so consumed about thinking about ourselves and uplifting ourselves. Amen? Amen? And so the question I think we should always ask ourselves is how can we use things, the things that we have, the things that we are blessed with, the, the, the skills that we have to be a blessing to other people? How do we stop bringing, intentionally bringing attention to ourselves and start to pour out ourselves for our neighbor and the marginalized in the community? How do we use our position and power to include instead of further exclude communities and people that may not look, act, and think like us? See, when we do these things, when we use our influence to provide social wholeness to the marginalized, we'll ultimately provide increased opportunities for the marginalized, especially in the area of economics. Everybody say economics. economics. Now, we love talking about economics, right? I don't want to sing the song again, but money, 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 money. Money. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I love that. Love that. But we, we love talking about it. And Jesus, again, is challenging the systems that deny economic wholeness to the marginalized. Our current economic system and social order has trained and developed us not to value people with limited money or resources. We don't even listen to people with, who are, don't have the, uh, the money or the resources that we have. We don't invite them to speak. We do nothing for people that do not have the resources we have. And that's a shame. I think about, when I think about Hustle Phoenix, I think about the banking system. And one of the things that we are, we talked about our mission statement, and I'll be quick, but it's the intellectual, social, and financial capital. The last one is financial capital. We provide resources, money, through loans to entrepreneurs to help them build their businesses. And we became what they call a CDFI. A CDFI, if you take a notes, is a community development financial institution. That's a long way of saying a CDFI. <clears throat> the reason why this industry even came into play 
was because of a thing called redlining. Anybody heard about redlining? Yeah. Right? So banks would draw a red line around certain communities, primarily men and women of color, and lower income communities, and say, hey, listen, those loans in those communities are too high risk. We're not touching those loans. We're not lending to those communities. And as a result, you know, you think about history impacting what's happening now, right? Like people didn't have access to resources to buy homes. And if you think about it in America, a part of our laws is that a part of our system is that when you, if you can own homes and own multiple homes, that's a surefire way to build wealth in our country. But many people, especially the people of color, were denied access because of the banking laws. And so because of banks redlining, to right that wrong, uh, uh, Congress and, and our lawmakers created a policy called the CRA. And I'll be quick, but the CRA is the Community Reinvestment Act. And what that says is banks, we know you guys have participated in wrongdoing as it relates to communities of color throughout our country. And so we're saying, listen, if you want to stay in business, bank, you have to lend a certain amount of, por of your portfolio to low to moderate income communities if you want to continue to run your bank. And so they created this. And so again, again, because of that law, I think it happened in the 90s, now banks are required to lend to these communities. Now, a lot of banks, that's not their line of business. So what they did was they created CDFIs, intermediaries. So the bank lends to the CDFI, the CDFI then lends to the community. That's what we do at Hustle Phoenix. We are a CDFI. And so we partner with banks. We partner with impact investors to, again, get resources, real resources to small business owners to say, listen, how do we do economic justice and really help people, not just for today, but help people long term be more of who God called them to be. Amen. And so contributing to entrepreneurs and business and providing economic wholeness, we see Jesus dealing with this. In verse 12 through 14, and I'll read it, and it says, He said to the one who invited him, when you give, again, again, I want to make sure you, we understand what the background is, where this is at. This is at the Pharisee's home. And Jesus is still speaking, and he says, And he said to the one who invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so when we think about this, again, Jesus is interrupting the social order. Jesus is challenging the human system and says, hey, you do for me, and I'll do for you. He's challenging it. And he's saying, listen, when you invite your friends, it's easy to invite your friends and people that you can gain something from. We, we, we do that all the time, right? We have season tickets to a game. We have, we have a, a meal that we want to invite people. We are always inviting people that, again, we like or we want to gain something from. We do that. You don't have to say you do it. I know we do it. <laughs> But in verse 13, Jesus is like so countercultural. He said, listen, invite people who are not like you and that you can gain nothing from. That's hard because none of us want to do that. None of us don't want to. None of us want to invite people who are not like us to our dinner table or to commune with us. And so he said, listen, it's deeper. 
He said, listen, our repayment is in heaven. When we live like this, when we live countercultural like this, our repayment is heaven. God has a special place for us because we are living and we're pressing into this. Amen? And so when we think about economic, challenging uh, economic wholeness, how are you changing economic systems that negatively impact the poor and marginalizing your sphere? When we think about walking wise, how are we challenging economic systems that may be negatively impacting your line of work? And your work that you do every day, you see issues and problems that may not be negatively impacting people that don't even have a voice. And you go along to get along because you probably need that job. But how are you going to challenge the systems that are at hand? I think about payday loans. I think about business and who we choose to do business and who we choose not to do business with. I think about the sex industry uh, and when this industry is participating in the number of women and men who are exploited. I think about your own dinner table. Who's at your table and who's not? That has implications for economics, for people. Amen? And so as we conclude, and when I think about economic wisdom, I think about, again, a productive economy that lifts people out of poverty and helps them flourish. That's walking wise. See, true economic wisdom is when we begin to look at the systems and structures of our economy and begin to advocate for the poor and marginalized by seeing how we play our part in either participating or challenging the systems and structures. And make no mistake about it, being quiet is participating in it. See, when, 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 we, when, we, when we are providing physical, social, and economic wholeness, we are challenging the systems and structures in our Western culture. That's how we truly live out economic wisdom. But see, to do this, it takes sacrifice and it takes interruption. And none of us want to be sacrificed. None of us want to sacrifice. See, it's real easy to come to church on a Sunday and listen to a word. And honestly, if you, you got, I mean, most preachers know this. Most, of you, most people, like, unless we talk about it throughout the week, we may forget what Pastor Caleb preached the last week. <laughs> or me, or anybody. We forget, right? But interruption, sacrifice is what Jesus calls us to. That's the only way we live into the kingdom. See, the interesting thing about Jesus is that when he began to challenge and confront the systems, the social norms, that's exactly when the religious leaders began to plot to kill him. See, they were okay with Jesus going along to get along. In fact, I think the enemy is okay with us even coming to church. But when we start, really start living out in community and figuring out ways that we can use our giftings and talents to be a part of challenging systems and structures that are a lot of times unseen, 
That's when we're going to start to feel it. See, sacrifice and interruption is not real until it hurts. It's when we're asking God, God, you really want me to sacrifice what? It's when we're asking God, God, you really want, to, want me to give up what? That's what Jesus did. He gave up everything, including his life, to provide integration and wholeness to us. He did not hold back, but he gave it all up for me and for you so we can be whole and our world can be whole. That's the kingdom. The kingdom of God demands sacrifice and interruption. He does not suggest it. The kingdom does not suggest it. It's a demand. And so as we think about providing economic wholeness, physical wholeness, and social wholeness, again, it demands sacrifice and interruption. And that's the only way that we can take, our, take up our cross and live into the kingdom. And so as I conclude, I'm going to ask you a question. What is God asking you to sacrifice? And what in your life is going to be interrupted so you can challenge the systems and structures that impact the poor, marginalized, and voiceless in our community? That's walking wise. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for your son who gave up everything. God, you sacrificed your son for us so we can live a full, blameless life. God, we struggle. We see the current times that we're living in. We see the systems and structures that are unseen that plague us and impact us every day. And a lot of times we feel helpless because we want to do something, but we can't. God, give us the strength. Give us the power. Keep us in community. God, so we can confront the systems and structures, God, that hurt your people, that keep people low, that do not provide flourishing to people. God, give us the strength. Give us the ability to continue to stay in line with you, to love you, to love our neighbors, to love the other, and continue to make disciples, God. God, your kingdom is huge, and we can't wait to the day till you come back. But God, in this here and now, in this already but not yet, God, Help us to be your servants who love you, who follow your laws, who follow your precepts, and love our neighbors. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this word. In the name of Jesus, amen.